Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Once again, welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel. We're so glad you're here uh, worshiping with us today. And we're going to dive right into God's Word this morning. So if you've got a copy of God's Word, go ahead and pull that out. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there should be a hardback black one somewhere there on the floor around you. You can feel free to grab one of those and follow along with us. Uh, we are back in Matthew again, Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to be picking up in verse 12 this morning, Matthew 7, verse 12. Um, so this, this past week, uh, we stepped into, in what is my, in my humble opinion, uh, the best sports season of the entire year. Uh, March Madness is upon us, uh, 64 teams battling it, battling it out for the top seed, uh, three weeks of ongoing basketball uh, bliss, if you will. And um, so it's amazing. So I've been watching the games already to see the talent, the athleticism, the ability of these, these college athletes and even pros if you're watching NBA. But there's, there's always one great equalizer in the game of basketball. I know some of you are thinking it's the refs. It's not the refs, okay? Um, the great equalizer in basketball has always been, always will be the free throw, okay? Um, the free throw has been... This, it's, it's this straightforward, unguarded, always exactly the same. You should be able to plan it, you know, easily, 15-foot shots. Yet, for the last 50 years, despite all of our advancements in coaching and equipment and training and ability, the percentage of made free throws has basically stayed exactly the same for 50 years. The average free throw percentage in the NCAA uh, is 69% um, is what they're hitting. And in the pros, they get up to 75%, but it's pretty much been that from the beginning of basketball. And uh, why is this? Why is it that a shot that seems so simple, straightforward, you can practice it over and over again? Why isn't it better than that? Why can't we improve on that? Well, I think it just goes to show us that just because something is straightforward or simple doesn't necessarily make it easy. Are you tracking with me, right? The same is true with the Christian life. All right, this is what we're going to see in the text today, that walking with Jesus is always simple, but never easy. Okay, we're going to unpack that. I know that might be a little confusing right now, but you're going to get it by the time we're done, okay? It's walking with Jesus is always simple, but never easy. Easy. So before we jump into the text this morning, I do want to just acknowledge real quick that today is a special day for us here at Harvest. Today is Family Worship Sunday. Um, so we got all of our first through fifth graders in here with us today. First through fifth graders, shout out. Where you at? Okay. Glad you guys are here. Glad you're in here with us. Okay. So, um, and parents of first through fifth graders, let me just talk to you for a second. First of all, uh, breathe. Okay. It's okay, we're glad they're here. It might be a little different today. There might be a little extra noise or paper rustling or whatever the thing is. It's okay, we're glad. This is how we make disciples, church, right? We bring people alongside us and we show them how to follow Jesus. We show them how to worship. This is training that's happening today. And so we're glad they're here. They're gonna be in big church uh, with all the adults and be trained up by this. And so, uh, but I just thought we'd do a little thing today. So we're all my first and fifth graders. Again, show me your hands. First and, third, first and fifth graders, hands up, hands up, hands up. All right, now stand up for me right where you're at. First and fifth graders, stand up. All right, everybody. All right, now slide out, make your way down here. Come down here with Pastor Micah, come on. Come on up, come on, come on, right up here. Stand up here on stage with me. 
As they're coming, let me just also say a quick thank you to all of our Harvest Kids volunteers. Uh, we're so glad that all of you volunteer and work with our kids week in and week out. And thank you to Jason uh, Spiros, who heads up this class and this part of our ministry. Um, and he has, so yeah, give him a hand. So, so he's been telling me great things about these kids and how much they're learning, how much they're growing. And one of the things that they're doing right now is they're actually memorizing scripture. They memorize scripture as part of their lesson every week. But they're not just memorizing a verse of scripture. They're, measuring, they're memorizing an entire chapter of scripture right now. Okay? All of Psalm 1 is what they've been working on. And so I just thought I'd give them a chance to show off a little bit today. Uh, who can say, who thinks they can say all of Psalm 1? Who's got it? You got it, Lindsay? You want to do it? Okay. Nice and loud. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its seasons, and his leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stay in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the ways of the wicked will perish. Good job. So, um, adults, um, we got some work to do, right? Like, um, so our kids are nailing it. They're doing great. They're growing as disciples. And so I, wanted, I want you guys to help me with the message a little bit today. Can you help me a little bit? I'm going to ask you guys some questions, and you guys can give me some, some honest answers this morning. So have you ever heard of something called the golden rule? Have you guys heard of the golden rule before? Some of you, no? Some of you need to talk to your parents and need to get on this? Okay. What is the golden rule? Who knows? Who knows? You know, cares? Come on. What is it? You don't know? Who knows? You guys know the golden rule? You're really hurting my illustration right now. Wait. Do you, does mom say it to us all the time? Maybe. <laughs> Nobody knows the golden rule? Uh, yeah, yeah, there we go. Do to others as you may have them do to you. Okay, now we're on track. Have you guys heard that before? Do unto others as, you, as others, you'd have them do unto you? You've heard that, right? You just didn't know it was called the golden rule. So do you know where that comes from? Does anybody know where that comes from? The Bible. That's right. Who was the first person in the Bible to say that? Jesus was. That's right. And so what does that mean? What's that look like to do unto others as you would have them do unto you? Go ahead. That you you respect other people as you want other people to respect you. That's right. Respect's a good example. Absolutely. And so let me ask you this. This is a little bit harder question. Do you always follow the golden rule? No. <laughs> no? Why not? Because we're not perfect. Because we're not perfect. That's a good, and we're good reason. Sinners. And we're sinners. That's right. So why is it so hard, do you think, to follow the golden rule all the time? Because we're all sinners. <laughs> we're on the sinners thing this morning. Yeah, we got that. Okay, good. <laughs> Any other ideas? We're not perfect like Jesus. Okay. Anybody else? Okay, you guys did great. Can you give them a hand? You guys can have a seat. Thank you, guys. So, if you haven't caught on this morning, our verse that we're going to start with today, verse 12, is what we were just talking with our kids about, the golden rule. Look at verse 12 in Matthew chapter 7. It says this. 
So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So here's your first point this morning. Walking with Jesus, or I'm sorry, walk with Jesus through simple instructions. Walk with Jesus through simple instructions. That's a pretty simple statement there that Jesus just made. Right? It's simple enough that our kids could understand it, right? Like they could explain it to us. They knew what it meant. They knew how to, how to give an example of it. Um, it's a simple kind of straightforward thing. Um, and a lot of times we call this the golden rule. Um, and so I was doing some research this week. Do you know why we call it that? Um, it actually dates back to the Roman emperor, Alexander Severus, who was not a Christian, by the way. But when he heard this statement by Jesus, this kind of concise answer on how to live a good life, he was so impressed by it, he kind of took it on as his own, and he had it inscribed on the wall of his chamber in gold. And so it became known as the golden rule. And now for over two millennia, we have been using this statement as a measure of how to be a good person, how to live life in a in a good way, and even non-Christians ascribe to this. You hear it in schools, you hear it in workplaces, you'll hear it all over the place. So, so if it's simple, and we're all in agreement that this is like a good thing that we should do, why do we not follow it more often? Why are we not on this? Why is this instruction ignored so often? Again, Jesus says, whatever you wish others do to you, do also to them. What's interesting in the phrasing of that is, in all transparency, Jesus wasn't actually the first person to kind of vocalize this concept. You can actually go back prior to Jesus' teachings and find this idea in other religious teachings, even among some Jewish rabbis, but they always said it a little bit differently. They would say something like this, what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. Do you hear the difference? They're saying, basically, um, you know, Try to put a lid on your sinfulness. <laughs> That's kind of their phrase. Like, like, try not to hurt other people so they won't hurt you back. All right? So they're, they're trying to kind of downplay who, what we naturally are and where we're kind of naturally tendence, have tendencies to go. Jesus is the first and only person that I can find in recorded history that stated it not in the negative, but in the positive. He didn't just say, stop doing these things. He said, go and do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He's calling us to step out and to love others, to make the first move, to make the right move, regardless of what response we might get, right? To be intentional with our lives and our actions towards others. This is not a passive, reluctant response to other people's behavior. This is a purposeful, loving movement toward others. That's what Jesus is going for here. Um, a lot of times when a couple first gets married, uh, we'll refer to those beginning days or year or whatever as the honeymoon period. You guys have heard that phrasing before, that kind of newlywed bliss where everything's perfect and there's no problems and everybody's good. And so I just was kind of pondering, like, how long do you think that actually lasts? All right. Uh, or better, better, better question, way to phrase it is, when does that start? When's the beginning of the deterioration of that because I'll just be honest, we're, we're coming up on 15 years, and that's in the rear view of ways, okay? So, um, like, when does that start to, maybe, maybe it's like the, in the first couple weeks, like the first time he, like, cuts his toenails and leaves them on the sink, you know? Like, maybe that was the, when it started to kind of go downhill for you. Um, maybe it's a month in when she, like, borrows one of the tools, and it never comes back, and now it's, like, gone, and, and uh, or, or I think 
here's my hypothesis. I think it actually starts maybe even like the first day or two of the honeymoon. You know, you just got married. Everything's great. You're, you're all, you know, in this new life together and you're snuggled up in bed with this new love of your life and everything's going great. And the morning comes and the sun starts to slant through the, the shades and you turn over to your love and, and you get a nice big whiff of morning breath. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, you're just like, oh, yeah. Like, that's the worst, right? I, I hate I hate that feeling in my mouth when I wake up in the morning. Not, I'm not saying that happened, by the way. I'm just hypothetically. Um, no, no I, honestly, it's for me. Like, I hate waking up in the morning and having that feeling in my mouth. You know what I'm talking about? Like, the first thing I want to do is, like, go to the bathroom and get my teeth brushed and get past that. And, and brushing our teeth, something like that, is such a small, simple task. But it has a big impact, doesn't it? Right? Um, if you miss that simple task... It's painfully obvious to others, you're right? But even though it's a simple task, it doesn't happen on its own. It doesn't just automatically occur. You have to be purposeful in doing it. That's where we're at right here with this instruction from Jesus, okay? It's simple, but you have to be purposeful about it. Walking with Jesus is simple, but I still have to purposefully do it. I think that's the first thing we really have to kind of land on this morning before we can even get into the deeper teaching is it's a big part of this is not what to do or how to do it. It's me being willing to do it. Me being purposeful at pursuing the simple instruction that Jesus has given. So, walk with Jesus through simple instruction. Point number two this morning. Walk with Jesus through selfless living. Through selfless living is point number two. And it actually goes back to verse 12 here again. Uh, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them for this is the law, and the prophets. I want to kind of dig down on that phrase for just a second, for this is the law and the prophets. It's a, actually a, kind of a familiar phrase to us throughout the Bible. When they, when they Jesus or whoever would refer to the law and the prophets, uh, he was referring to what we call today as the Old Testament, okay? It was basically the only Bible they had then because the New Testament had not yet been written, and so all of the Bible writings, biblical writings prior to Jesus' time were considered to be in this category of the law and the prophets, right? That's kind of how he referred to them. It was their standard for living. And another place you might remember this phrase from is actually in Matthew 22, verse 36. This is a pretty familiar passage as well. Uh, it starts off, it says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? So this is a guy talking to Jesus, asking him a question. And he responds to him, and Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. It's kind of interesting. The guy asked him, hey, Jesus, what's the one commandment that, you know, all the law and the prophets? And he's like, I'm going to give you two, okay? Um, and so here's the second one. He said, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So he's using that same exact phrase, which was interesting to me. And so when we look here, we notice the second commandment that he gives in this passage is to Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I think if we're honest with ourselves this morning, um, we really don't have a problem with loving ourselves. Have you noticed that? Like, we're really good at the love yourself thing. Like, we kind of come out of the womb, like, hitting 100 on that. Like, there's, there's no problem with the loving yourself. We cry, we throw a fit, we do whatever we got to do to get our needs, our wants met. Like, we know how to take care and love ourselves Sometimes we love ourselves too well, and Jesus is saying, hey, take that same love and turn it out 
instead of in. That same love that you have for yourself and your wants and your needs and your desires, take that same love and instead of turning it all inward on yourself, turn it out towards others. Another place that this command of Jesus to do unto others as you would have them do unto you, we find this again in Luke 6, 31, which he just says, as you wish others would do to you, do so to them. Now, it's the exact same teaching from Jesus, but in Luke we find it in the middle of this passage that's a completely different context. In Luke, he's talking and he's teaching about loving your enemies. And right in the middle of this big paragraph on loving your enemies, he throws out this command again, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so both times, this phrase that's connecting this to the law and the prophets is connected to this idea of love, of loving others. This is the why behind the golden rule, right? The rule doesn't stand on its own. There's gotta be a reason Jesus is telling us to do this. The why behind it is so that we can love others. Why should we treat others the way we wanna be treated? Well, so they'll reciprocate, right? Like if I treat you, then you'll treat me and that's how I wanna be treated. So no, (laughs) that's not what Jesus' point is here, okay? Uh, Well, we do this so that we prove that we're good people, right? And so we prove how nice we are and how good we are and that we're maybe even better than them. And, and so, no, 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 that's not what Jesus is going for here either. The reason Jesus gives us as to why we should love others as we love ourselves or treat others the way we want to be treated is because of love. It's because if we are followers of Christ, if we are children of the living God through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been given an inexpressible, unending, life-changing love from God the Father. And he wants us to be conduits of that love. Not just receptacles, we're not just receiving it and holding it and storing it and thank you God that you love me so much and now I'm loved and I can go live my life. No, no, no. I get to be the one who is loved so that I can go forth and love others. So I can treat them uh, the way that I would want to be treated, the way that I would want to be treated with love. Now, this is simple. It's simple, right? It's simple instruction. There's a simple reason, and yet it's really, really hard. So I just kind of started thinking this week, like, why do we fail at this so often, myself included? Why do we fail at this so often? And I came up with this phrase. I think this is part of it. It's not all of it, but I think this is a good chunk of it. Because fair is often the enemy of love. Fair is often the enemy of love. Let me explain what I'm talking about there. So we are all born, we are built with this ingrained sense of justice, right? Like we're, we're born with this need for things to be right and fair and just and, and it's kind of heightened even for us, I think, in America because our entire culture and government and society is built around the idea that we are the, we are the land that is fair and just and right. And it's all about rights and freedoms and you know what I'm talking about, right? So we have this need to go after what's fair and right. And don't get me wrong, justice is a good thing. Justice is a God thing, right? There will be a day where we all stand before the Lord and all things will be made right, But oftentimes, when we get into personal situations, I think our heart interprets justice not as what's good for the whole, but what is good for me. 
what's fair and right for me, opposed to maybe what's best for others or the group as a whole. And when I've been wronged, when I've been hurt, when I've been cheated, my first reaction is I want what's fair. I want what's right. I want to even the score. I want to get things back to where they should be in my mind. And the problem with that is when I'm the offender rather than the offended and the victim, when I'm the offender, when I'm the one that's made the mistake and hurt someone or done something wrong, or I'm not looking for fair, am I? I'm looking for mercy. I'm looking for grace. When I'm the one who's in the wrong, I want love rather than law. But when I'm on the other side of the coin, so oftentimes we want to run to fair and right and just. Doing what's right is not always doing what's fair. I want you to ponder on that for just a second. Doing what is right is not always doing what is fair. Sometimes it's going beyond fair to love. Often it means extending love and grace when someone doesn't deserve it. Because if we were in their shoes, we would want love and grace in that same circumstance. Walking with Jesus means prioritizing selfless love over selfish justice. Walking with Jesus means prioritizing selfless love over selfish justice. I think one of the areas that we tend to struggle with this the most, at least the one that I see the most in my life and in the lives of those around me, is in the area of money and materialism. Because again, we have this idea that when it comes to earning money or spending money or acquiring things, that we always want to kind of tend on the side of fair rather than love. Like, I worked hard, I earned this, I deserve this, this is mine. If you want something, you need to go work hard and you need to earn it and then you can have it and I shouldn't have to give what I've worked for. And We get on this whole fair kick and um, it's only fair, right? The one who does the work gets the stuff or gets the money or gets the food or whatever the deal is. And maybe sometimes that's true, but oftentimes I think Jesus wants us to choose love over fair. But in order for us to do that, it's usually going to require some sacrifice. It's going to require us to give up something to make that move of love over fair. So I just saw a news story a couple weeks ago that I thought was a great um, illustration for this. So watch this quick video about this church in Texas. This building has been here since 1904. In downtown Royce City, the brown and yellow Methodist Church serves as a landmark and a beacon. If the church does not impact the community that the church is in, then the church isn't doing its job. Pastor Chris Everson's congregation at the Royce City First United Methodist Church has a tradition of donating holiday offerings to charity. Last year, we uh, heard about the need at our, uh, what we call our sister school, Davis Elementary School. The congregation paid off $1,700 in lunch debt for that school in 2017, then took it a step further. The question came up, 
what would it look like if we did this for the entire ISD? The answer, a 200-member congregation came up with more than $10,000 to cover any student $20 or more behind in school lunch payments. It's going to make such an impact for families uh, when they log onto that account and they see, oh, I don't know anything. What, what a feeling. They collected over the Christmas holiday over $10,000 to help wipe out school meal accounts for our students. Monday, the school district announced the donation and thanked the church for recognizing a need, then simply filling it. There are kids who need, need this help. And uh, if, if our communities do what I feel that we are called to do, uh, just as, as human beings, we need to take care of our students because they're the future of our world. In Royce City, Deanna Zoga, NBC5. So it's just a simple example of what we're talking about today. Did, did that church owe that debt? No. Is it fair to say that the people who ate the food should be the ones who pay for the food? Is that fair? Absolutely. But the church didn't look at what was fair. They took a step beyond that and they said, let's, let's go beyond fair and let's go to love. And let's step in and pay off these debts so that these kids who aren't getting to eat because they don't have enough money to cover the food actually get a meal on school days. Right? They did it because they were thinking the same thing that I am thinking. I hope that you're thinking that if that was my kid who was at school and didn't get to eat because I couldn't afford it, I would want somebody to help. Right? I would want my kid to be taken care of somehow. And so they stepped in and they went beyond what was fair they went to love. They saw an opportunity and they took it. Love over fair. But it takes a sacrifice to do it. Right? They had to give. They, they gave $10,000 to make this happen for the entire school district. That's what Jesus is talking about when he's asking us to do unto others as he would, we would have them do unto us out of a heart of love for him. Walking with Jesus is simple but I have to be willing to sacrifice. It's simple. It's not, a, it's not a complicated thing, but I have to be willing to do the hard work of sacrificing to make it happen. Following Jesus requires selfless living. Right? So walking with Jesus through simple instruction, through selfless living, and then the last point today, look at verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Last point today is this. Walk with Jesus through singular devotion. Through singular devotion. Jesus starts this 13th verse with this phrase. He says, enter by the narrow gate. And when I was first studying this this week, I wrote down these notes. I said, it's, it's an instruction not an invitation. It's a requirement, not a recommendation. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, this has to happen. It's not optional. It's command, not a consideration. But then I realized last night as I was going through my sermon, as I was praying, I thought God showed me something fresh. And he said, it's actually not a command as much as it is an invitation. He's saying, come here. Come, use the narrow gate. It's better. I'm going to show you why 
So he, gives the, he, he goes on to talk about that there's two options. There's two ways that we can all choose to go. Right? The wide or the narrow. First is the wide gate or the wide road. And he says that this wide gate that leads to the wide road, that it is easy. That if you're on the wide road, you're going to have an easy life or at least an easier life. Right? And I think sometimes we get messed up on this as American Christians because sometimes we get in our minds that if my life is going well, if I'm comfortable, if everything's taken care of, if there's no stress, if there's no conflict, if I have an easy life, then that means that God's good with me, right? That he's blessing me, that God's favor is on me, and so that's why my life is going good. But that's not actually what proves God's favor, Ease of life does not prove God's favor. What proves God's favor on your life is the fruit of godliness. If you want to know if you have God's favor in your life, is, is your life producing fruit that lines up with him, that lines up with the gospel and the mission of Jesus? A lot of times when life is easy, it's not because of faithfulness, it's because of compromise, Because if I'm willing to go along with what everybody else is doing and whatever the world wants me to do and whatever this culture is calling me into, no matter what Jesus says, if I'm willing to go along with this world, guess what? You're not going to have much conflict. Things are going to go a lot easier if you just go with the flow, right? If you just kind of get in with everybody else and just keep going. A lot of times ease in our life is not because God is pleased, but because the world is pleased with us. Because Satan is like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to rock the boat if you're already doing what I want you to do, right? Like, if you're already following me in sin, why would I mess that up? I'm just going to let you keep sailing along. But the problem with that is, while it's easy now and it seems good for now, eventually, as Jesus says here, the wide gate, the wide road leads to destruction. That compromise leads to destruction. It leads to death. It leads to hell. Our natural bent as humans is sin. We're born with sinful hearts. We make sinful choices. We have a world that's tempting us with sinful desires and things, and we are called deeper into that. And let me tell you, sinning comes easy. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed how easy that comes, right? Like, you don't have to work at that. You don't have to try for that. Like, it just just flows naturally out of us if we let it. That's why the wide road is easy. Because sin is easy. But sin, as we've learned in the past, separates us from God. When we sin, we're separating ourselves from God because he is holy and perfect and sinless and he can't be any part of sin. And so our sin builds a dividing wall between us and God. And it aligns us, not with God, but with Satan himself and his desires for us. And in the end, although it might seem okay right now, in the end, if we're aligned with him, the Bible tells us that Satan and all of those who follow him will lead to destruction. That they will end in everlasting torment and hell and punishment for their sin, for their rebellion against God. And he says, this road is easy and it leads to destruction and many will follow it. You see, everyone can get here. Everyone can get on this road. It's easy. Our natural inclination is to go this way, so it's easy, and many end up there. But Jesus says there is a second option. The second option is the narrow gate or the narrow road. 
But in contrast, Jesus says the narrow gate, the narrow road is going to be hard. Like he's like, I'm just telling you straight up from the beginning, just so you know, it's going to be hard. Okay? And it's going to be hard for several reasons. Number one, it's going to be hard because it's unnatural for us. The natural side of us, the flesh, the human side, wants to just go for sin. So for us to not do that and to go a different direction is going to be hard. It's also hard because it's countercultural. Because the natural flow of our world is sin. So for us to swim against that current of culture is going to be hard. It's also going to be hard because it's directly opposing Satan himself. And he, as soon as you start getting on the other team and you're fighting against him, he's going to come at you with all he's got. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. I remember one time um, when we were younger, I can't remember if we were in college or just newly married, we were downtown at uh, Fair St. Louis over the 4th of July weekend when it was still like downtown on the arch. And uh, we were trying to get over like to this other area for this concert. And we kind of got in this one area, was, there was kind of walls all around and it was just like kind of a, a trapped in area. And it was so jam-packed full of people. Like you were like this, like you hardly couldn't even move. Like we're holding hands, like trying to stay together and weave through this crowd and trying to push our way through to get over to the other side. And it was so hard to get through the crowd and get to where we wanted to go. That's what it's like to get from the wide road to the narrow gate. You've got to know where you're going. You've got to know you want to get there. And you have to push through all the crowd and all the stuff and all the ease to get to the hard place. I think this is similar to what Jesus said in another part of the gospel where he said, if you're going to follow me, before you do, count the cost. He says, count the cost. Make sure you know what you're getting yourself into because it's not going to be easy. It is going to be hard. And you need to know that stepping in because if not, you're going to get knocked on your behind. Family worship day. Because it's going to be hard, but it leads to life. It's going to be hard, but it's worth it because it doesn't lead to destruction. It leads to life. It leads to new life right here, right now, new heart, new direction, new everything, where you're freed from that captivity of sin. It leads to to new and full life, where you get to experience the fullness of all that God has for you. And it leads to eternal life on the other side of death where you don't experience that destruction, but you get to experience the everlasting presence of God himself. It's hard, but it's worth it. It says, but unfortunately, few will find it. That's what Jesus said. Few will find it because there are few who are willing to commit and persevere in the hard road. Few will find it because it takes repentance and it takes faith and it takes me humbling myself and saying I don't have it all figured out and I can't fix this and I need help and I'm willing to submit to someone else to get it. And very few are willing to take that step. There's two options, but there's only one way to life. Everyone has a choice about which road they're willing to walk. But only one leads to love and life and God. You have to purposely choose the narrow way. 
But when you do, you will find and you are filled with a new love from God the Father. And this is why these two scriptures are right next to each other. Sometimes they kind of feel like they're disconnected. But here's, I think, Jesus' point. He told us the simple instruction of here's what my followers do. They love others the way they want to be loved. They treat others the way that they want to be treated. Right? But in order to do that, before we can ever even get there, first we have to start here. It starts by choosing the narrow gate. It starts by choosing to follow Jesus and to let him come and fill you with his love so you have what you need to go out and love others the way that you want to be loved. I cannot do that on my own. I do not have what it takes to follow Jesus' instructions on my own. It's not about living a good life. It's not about being a better person. Jesus did not come and die on a cross to make a better version of you. He came to make a new version of you, to give you new life. And so he says, choose, come, commit to the narrow road. This all comes back to the gospel, my friends. That we were born broken and destitute and bound for destruction because of our sin. And we couldn't fix it, and we couldn't stop it, and we couldn't find a way out, and we couldn't do enough good stuff to undo all the bad stuff that we've already done. And so God said, I'm going to help. I'm going to send a way. I'm going to send one way for you to be saved. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come to live a perfect and sinless life. And then to go to the cross and die a sinner's death. To pay for your sin. To pay for my sin. To pay for the sin of all who would believe the scripture says. And he took that destruction that we deserved and he put it on himself. And he stood in place as our substitute and he went into the grave and he died. And then he came back to life three days later to prove that he was God. To say, look, Everything I said was true. You can trust me. Come, put your faith in me. I am the narrow road. I am the narrow gate. Come to me and I will give you new life. But he still puts the choice on you. You still have to choose to believe. You still have to choose to walk through the narrow gate for yourself. He will not make you. But he says, for all who will believe, the gate is open. Come, receive, believe, follow. And if you will turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus, he will save you from your sin and give you new life. Many of you kind of know my story. I was born into a Christian home. I was born to a, in actually a pastor's home. And so I was in church every time the doors were open. I was there. I was hearing God's word. I was growing just like many of you kids. Your parents have you here every Sunday so that you can learn, you can hear God's word, and that's so good. And parents, man, I praise you for that. We, we need to be doing that. My parents understood that my spiritual development was the most important thing in my life. And we need to understand that about our kids. You know, education's great. Sports are great. Activities are great. Music's great. All that's great. But none of it is as important as the spiritual development of our children. 
So my parents had me in church. Every time the doors were open, I was learning. I was growing. So by age six, I understood the gospel. And I went to my dad and said, I want to be saved. And we, he talked to me and we prayed and we did the whole thing. And I accepted Jesus. And many people were like, isn't that young? Yeah. Do they really get it at age six? Can you really understand it then? I did. Courtney did. My wife, she was saved as a child as well. It is possible. You know why it's possible? Because the gospel is simple. It's simple. It's a simple choice to turn from sin and follow Jesus. Oftentimes I give it in ABCs. A, acknowledge that I'm a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ died in my place for my sins. C, confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Choose to follow him. Let him save you from your sins. It takes that repentance. It takes that choice. And so, so I did that. I made that choice as a young child. But then the years that followed, there were a lot of things that came and derailed me from following Jesus. It started with my parents' divorce, but then it was me wanting to be accepted and, and you know, in, in, in with my peers and get along with everybody else and go along with the crowd. And eventually it was the success and money and wanting a good career and the grades. And like there were all these things that I was focused on and I was following rather than following Jesus. And it was easier. It was an easier road. And I thought it was going to lead to happiness and joy, and it didn't. It brought pain and disappointment and doubt and discouragement. And if I would have stayed there, it would have led to destruction. Thankfully, the Lord met me again in college, and he came and he spoke to my heart, and he called me back in a pretty painful way, but I'm glad he did, because that was the time where he finally got back to my heart and called me back to him and to the narrow way and I, that I committed to as a child, and I'll just be honest with you guys, it was hard. It was hard to step back into that. It was hard to keep walking on that. It is hard. I'm not even going to try to convince you otherwise today. You need to know that. But it's worth it. It's hard to resist the temptation. It's hard to, to, you know, to give him your family and to give him your career and to give him your money and to give him your relationships. And to, it's hard to surrender all that stuff to him and let him be in control and let him lead. But when you do, man, it is so worth it. It changes your life, it changes your heart, it changes your future. Every day it's worth it. Because every day he's leading me deeper and deeper into relationship with the God of the universe. Do you have that today? Do you have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Because you yourself, not your parents, not your grandparents, not your spouse, not your kids, but you have chosen to give your life to Jesus to follow him, to turn away from your sin and follow after Jesus on the narrow road? Have you made that choice? Do you have that yet? I so deeply want it for you. God wants it for you. But I can't do it for you and neither will he. It's you making a choice to purposefully walk and follow Jesus on the hard road. And you can choose that today if you haven't. Walking with Jesus starts with a simple choice. Leads to a hard road. 
and ends in the presence of God. The Christian life, following Jesus, walking with Jesus, it's a simple choice that we make that leads to a long, hard road and puts us at the end of life in the presence of a perfect, loving, almighty God. I said at the beginning, walking with Jesus is simple, but never easy. It's not. It's a simple choice. It's a commitment to walk. But it's going to get you to the best place you can be. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing a song of response. But I'm going to stand right here in the front while we sing. And if you've never made that choice to follow Jesus, if you've never chosen that narrow road yet and you want to do that today, but you don't know how or you need some help or you just want to talk to somebody about that before you make the decision, I'm going to stand right here in the front while we sing. I would encourage you as we stand just to slide out of your seat, come down here, grab my hand. We're going to talk about that. I'm going to help lead you. I'm going to get somebody else to help lead you. We're going to help you make this choice to follow Jesus. And you can do that today. And you can be on that road with him and you can have new life and you can have new hope. And your life, your new life can start right here, right now today. If you've already made that choice to follow Jesus, then I would encourage you as we pray and as we sing to be looking into your own heart about how am I doing with love, sending his love out to others rather than just keeping it for myself. But it all starts with that salvation moment. If you haven't had that, I want you to have it today. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. I thank you, God, for just our time together this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. Lord, we know that it, you, you promise, Lord, that your word does not return void. Lord, that as we speak it, as we teach it, as we hear it, Lord, that it comes down, it, it does a work in us, and it changes our hearts, and it draws us to you. So I pray, Lord, now that whoever here that you are drawing to yourself, Lord, that by the power of your spirit, you would give them the strength and the courage to make that decision today, Lord, to trust in you, to pray and accept Christ for, sal for Savior, Lord. And if they need help with that, Lord, give them the courage to step out and come down and speak with me now. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for all that you've done in our lives, man. You, we would be nothing without you. We need you desperately every day, every moment. We need to be able, we need your help to love the way that you've called us to love. Lord, work in us today. Make us who you've called us to be. We pray all this in Christ's name.